Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network invite you to discover your mission. A brand new in-depth monthly video series featuring engaging Catholic speakers who will challenge you to live your life abundantly. For only $25 a month, you will receive a personal monthly mission, including three full-length inspirational talks that build upon a new theme each month. Sign up for the Discover Your Mission tier at patreon.com slash Patchwork Heart Ministry today. Welcome to the Sewing Hope Podcast. This is a show all about implanting hope in our hearts. I'm Bill Snyder, joined by my friend Ann DeSantis. We're glad you're here for our uplifting conversation about faith and how it sustains our hearts through all the seasons of life. Thanks for walking with us. Yeah, and good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Sewing Hope Podcast. I am Bill Snyder. As I just said, and I am uh, joined, as always, by my co-host, Anna Santos. Uh, it's a beautiful morning here in Wisconsin, and we're uh, so excited to be with you. Uh, Anne, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm great, Bill. Thanks so much. Of course. It's another nice morning here, and uh, we're so excited uh, because we have a great guest. Why don't you tell us about him? Yes, we have an amazing guest, and he's a returning guest, too. So we have Patrick Novakoski. I'm going to read his short bio. He is one of America's most accomplished Catholic communicators. He's the author of 100 Ways John Paul II Changed the World and has won more than two dozen awards from the Catholic Press Association. He has edited and written for some of America's top publications and has been published in five languages. Patrick serves as the executive director of the Warrington Pregnancy Center in Warrington, Virginia. He's the founder of Nova Media, a public relations firm specializing in the Catholic space. He's previously served as Legatus Magazine's editor-in-chief for 12 years. He's traveled to 26 countries, met uh, Pope St. John Paul II five times, and made Pope Francis laugh out loud. Most importantly, he is a husband and a father of five beautiful children. Welcome and good morning, Patrick. Great to be with you both again. Yeah, it's great to have you. And what a timely, uh, what a timely topic to talk about uh, this this wonderful book, One Hundred and One Ways uh, Saint John Paul Changed the World. It's just, it's just incredible. Uh, we're we're coming up on his on his anniversary, or it's a feast day and, and anniversary, too, right? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So Thursday is his feast day and the forty second anniversary of his inauguration as Pope. He was elected on uh, October sixteenth, nineteen seventy eight. And uh, on the 22nd, he uh, he became, I believe, the 264th successor of Peter. It's it's funny because people say, well, this is a number that he's, I think, the 264th pope and the 263rd successor of Peter. So you have to be careful how you parse that because <laughs> one number is right, but it's not right for both. So <laughs> got to right. count Peter in the 264, right? And then uh-huh. the number of successors following <laughs> that. So I try to keep that on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be difficult, you know? Yeah. What an interesting study that you have done of John Paul II. I mean, he's one of my favorites, and I know he's one of Bill's, and probably so many of our listeners uh, love St. John Paul II. Um, I want to invite people also to learn more about you and what you're doing at your two websites, which you have booksbypatrick.com and also catholicpublicist.com. So please do check out those two websites. Now, you were on our show before, and you did tell us about yourself and your story. Um, I definitely want to ask people to please go back and, and listen to that full episode because there's so much information about your story but maybe a little bit about yourself to those who don't know you yet, Patrick. It'd be great for them to learn about you. Yeah, sure. I actually grew up in Saskatchewan, Canada, in a, in a family of nine children on a farm. And uh, when I was 16, John Paul II came to Canada for the first time. And I had this truly profound dream that he came to my house and gave me a hug. Now, I I tell the story in talks and about one out of every 10 times I tell this story, someone in the crowd in the Q&A will say, I had the same dream. 
And last weekend, I was I was doing a radio interview, and the host had the same dream. So uh, part of John Paul II's mysticism, which we can get into, but uh, I, I lived in Canada for the first 28 years of my life, came to the United States to work for a Catholic magazine in California, was there for a year, and then bounced over to the Marian Fathers in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. And that was kind of my... my um, I guess, entree into the world of global Catholicism, the universal church. Um, in 1997, I had a chance to go to Rome and the Marians uh, allowed me the, the great opportunity to meet John Paul II for the first time. And th then, I, then I toured Eastern Europe because John Paul II had told the Marians, I want you to lead the re-evangelization of Eastern Europe. No small task. I mean, the, the, this is in the mid-90s. The Iron Curtain had fallen you know, between 89 and 91 in 91 is when Ukraine got its, its, um, its liberation in Poland and all those Eastern Bloc countries. So I went behind the iron curtain and I interviewed priests that had survived during the Soviet era. And, and they told me their stories and their needs. And I came back and I told those stories and, and it was so successful for, for fundraising and in information that the, the next year, the Marian sent me back again, 98, 99, 2000. I met the Pope each year. And, um, and then, you know, I, I was, I was getting into my early thirties and, and I knew that, that God was calling me to a vocation of marriage and be, met this beautiful woman from Michigan and, uh, and moved to Michigan, uh, got married in 2001. And I became the first uh, communications director at Ave Maria School of Law when it was still in Michigan. It's since moved to Florida. I uh, was there for a couple of years. And then that's when I got connected with Legatus. Legatus was, is a membership organization of Catholic business leaders. And they moved us to Florida. So we lived in, in southwest Florida and in the town of Ave Maria. We were down there 15 years and, uh, and, and then I had this opportunity to move to Northern Virginia just a few months ago to lead the Warrington Pregnancy Center in, in Northern Virginia. So that's a, kind of a bit of my journey. I have five children, um, uh, and my wife is a, a Catholic school teacher. Uh, children are between 6 and 17. I've got three teenagers in the house, so it's a new era. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that one. Mine uh, are out of the teenage years, but... Um... I understand that well. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. And then you're doing amazing work right now at the Warrington Pregnancy Center. I know in our last episode, you talked a lot about that. Um, so tell us more about the Warrington Pregnancy Center and your role as the executive director. Yeah, so the, the center is, is very new. It was founded just uh, three years ago, uh, opened about two and a half years ago here in Warrington. Warrington's a town of about... Uh, 10,000 people. Um, it's uh, about an hour outside of DC. Uh, for those of you that know Northern Virginia geography, if you go west from DC, you'll, you'll hit uh, towns like, well, Dulles Airport, and then Centerville, and Gainesville, and Manassas. We're just a little bit south of Gainesville, Manassas area. So, um, uh, the, so the, they saw the need. There was a center here. It folded. Uh, they saw the need. And, and a, a lot of like-minded pro-lifers got together and said, we need to serve the women of our area. Uh, and we border several counties in northern Virginia. So we're drawing from a pretty rural area. But uh, and, and a very conservative area as well, uh, politically and, and a lot of, lot of churches. So it's a neat area to, to be serving people. I've literally found no resistance in the community to the work that we do here. Uh, we, you know, our, our biggest challenge is letting people know that we exist and what we do. We offer free pregnancy tests, uh, free ultrasounds. Uh, material support for women with young children, um, and women who are are in a pregnancy. We offer counseling for for both women and men who are abortion minded, and uh, and then continuing support. You know whether we we have some women unfortunately who don't choose life for their child, but we don't push them away. We try to draw them in and, and help them with the, the loss recovery that they, they, they'll be going through and, and continue to, to walk with them 
uh, and doing our best to convince them to to make good choices. And one of my biggest jobs is to to rally prayer support for what we do here. And uh, I, I really see, you know, as the leader of a center, I've got amazing volunteers. The volunteers are they're passionate, they're well educated, uh, they want more training. Uh, they're eager to to step in whenever there's a need, and and that's that's half the battle right there. So great blessing. Um, so I see my role as um, letting people know that we exist in in the local community and 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 rallying that type of of um, knowledge, which will help draw um, abortion-minded women women in need and it helps draw volunteers it also helps with the fundraising because we need we need the financial help to keep the place going as well and the material support all of our uh, all of our services are free so we we live on donations and prayer hmm. amazing oh, wonderful work. work that you're doing what is the website there for the warrington pregnancy center well, if you can spell it all, it's warrantonpregnancycenter.org. Okay. However, I do have a shortcut. It's wpc.life. I didn't, before mm-hmm. I started here, I didn't know that dot life was a thing, but it is. Uh, so it's WPC for Warrington Pregnancy Center, wpc.life. Well, that's nice and easy. <laughs> yeah. So no matter where people are coming from on this podcast and listening, they might want to uh, partner with you somehow and make a donation, either a one-time or a recurring, because you yeah, know what? So, There's never been a time that's needed so much. I want absolutely. to tell people that. Yeah, that's never yeah. been a time. So for, for people that are looking to support us, we have a separate site, and that's wpcpartners.org. So I'd encourage them to, to go to that. Yeah, for, for, so for the women who are, are um, abortion-minded, who are in need, in need of support, that's wpc.org getting my tongue tied wpc.life um for the the donations and support it's uh wpcpartners.org awesome awesome stuff uh yeah we're you know and and i'm excited to talk with you about life too because uh you know john paul ii was so uh such a huge proponent of life i mean he was probably the preeminent person for uh, promoting uh, life and the sanctity of life with the whole uh, theology of the body too. Yeah, no question. And that really started from his, his life as a young priest. Uh, one of his first assignments was to, to counsel and mentor young people. He, he, he was, um, he was a young priest. He was in his twenties and thirties and uh, at the parish, he was kind of the youth pastor. So, you know, he, he kind of learned a lot from, that experience that he incorporated into his his theology and and his his studies, um, but it also formed him it formed his pastor's heart. So he, he walked with these young people. Uh, he saw them fall in love and get married and have children and start their families. And in 1960, he published a book called Love and Responsibility, and that was kind of the precursor to the theology of the body. But everything that John Paul II wrote kind of hinged on. Who is man? Who is the human person? What is the human person? And what's his relationship with God and with each other? Um, you know, he, he, he taught that each person is unique, in, uh, a unique individual, but an unrepeatable human life, uh, whether that life ends within two minutes of conception or whether that person lives to be 110 years old. Unique uh, individual, uh, unrepeatable um, and, and and a gift to from God to 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 the world. Um, so everything hinged on the human person, right? And so the the respect due each individual human person was key to all of his theology, whether whether that was World Youth Day or theology of the body, um, and 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 that was kind of a core teaching for him. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I have to tell people that I've actually purchased 100 Ways John Paul II Changed the World. <laughs> and uh, I'm excited to start reading it because as I told you both, Bill and Patrick, I'm working on my master's thesis and it's going to be part of it uh, using that uh, resource. So I just recommend it's it's on Kindle too. Kindle and, and, Kindle. and, and in hard copy. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, our Sunday visitor is my publisher, but most Catholic bookstores have it. Can get it at Barnes and Noble. Um, it's 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 everywhere right now, so it's very exciting. 
Yeah, it really is. So what was it like for you writing the book? Because it, there's so much there. I started to look through it and uh, I'm, I'm just so excited to really delve in. Yeah, the whole thing started with, um, well, with my opportunity to meet him five times. So three of my meetings with him were actually in person, right beside him, talking to him um, in, in a private audience, two at Castel Gandolfo, one of the people apartments. Um, and, and typically what I would do is I, I was the webmaster at Marion.org. So I was presenting him with, with pages that I'd printed out on divine mercy particularly and the things that he had done with with spreading divine mercy um with regard to saint faustina and mercy sunday and uh so that was the three meetings and then two of them were in the square uh one was with my wife we were we were newlyweds and uh we went to rome for our honeymoon and we knelt at his feet and he blessed us and so that having those experiences with him and looking into his eyes and having the opportunity to speak to him was, was very formative along with that dream I had when I was 16 years old. Um, and, and then he died and I went into uh, my, my career as a journalist and continued that path. But about a year, year and a half ago, I realized that his, his 100th birthday was coming up in May of 2020. And, and I knew that I had a book in me and I needed to, 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 to get started. And so I chose this project because I wanted to have it timed with his hundredth birthday. COVID kind of delayed that, but here we are, we're still within the hundredth year of his life. And, uh, and so I'd been giving this talk for probably 10 years on how I met him, what that experience was like, but it needed a little bit more meat to it. So I developed this top 10 list the top 10 ways john paul ii impacted the world and uh, and i would count them down as part of my talk and so that was kind of the start and, and then when i started this book uh, i grew that list to 20 then 30 then about 50 once i got to 60 i started writing mm -hmm. and as i was researching and reading and writing um that list doubled so I had, you know, 130, 140 ways, and I had to start paring it down. So I, I took, I, I kind of tried to write it uh, so that, that the first 90 from 90, from, sorry, from 100 to 11 are not necessarily in order of importance, but they kind of run as a theme, whether that theme is diplomacy, whether that, that theme is, is theology, um, or whether that theme is... Um, uh, the saints that he knew or canonized or uh, he knew Mother Teresa, he knew Fulton Sheen, he knew Padre Pio, and and he had he didn't meet, but he, he had a, a strong kinship with Maximilian Kolbe. Um, and, and so I, I kind of grouped things and, and made a, a, a theme running through the whole book. And then I count down the top 10. So the top 10 that I'd been giving in my talks for years and years, those are the same uh, as, as I had prior to starting the book. Wow, it's awesome. Thank you so much. And I know there's good things coming too. That probably isn't the last book you're going to write. I have a feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I didn't meet Pope Benedict, but uh, I, I'm, I'm working on my next book, which will be 100 Ways Pope Benedict Changed the World. And uh, ah. he's 93. So I, I need to have this out before his 100th birthday uh, <laughs> to, to celebrate that. But um, um, hopefully, you know, uh, have it out before he passes into, the, into heaven. Oh, that's something to look forward to. I love Pope Benedict. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did get within 10 feet of him uh, at Amman Stadium in Amman, Jordan in 19, 2000, 2009. 2009. Oh, wow. Yeah, you, you know, it, it's amazing. Talk about just meeting um, popes. I mean, you know, there's something very special about that. I've been to a couple general audiences. I went to one general audience with Pope uh, Emeritus Benedict. Uh, and then uh, I was at the World Meeting of Families with um, you know, Pope Francis uh, just a few years ago in Philadelphia. But uh, talk about, if in your experience, just, just I mean, obviously you, you've had the private, you know, audiences with John Paul II, but, but just being in the, in the crowd or in the presence of, of the successor of Peter, there's something special about that. And, and um, you know, I, it's something that I think almost every Catholic should, you know, experience. You know, not everybody's going to have the, the, you know, the red carpet access. Um, but, but just being able to go to an event or, or go to St. Peter's Square and, and encounter the, 
the Pope in a general audience. Uh, there's something special about that, right? You know, there's something that is... Absolutely. Um, yeah, just talk about that if, from your own experience. Yeah, absolutely. I'll never forget the moment that uh, I landed at the Rome airport for the first time. And the car that was driving me to, to the house passed by St. Peter's Square. This is 1997. And it was like just pure joy just to see it, you know, because we, we grow up seeing the square in, in pictures and in video. And, and then there's a new pope elected. We see the smoke. But um, like, where is that building and how does, how, you know, what's the square look like for real? Uh, but just driving by it in a car, that moment is forever and etched into my mind. And, uh, well, let, let me tell you what it was like to meet him. Um, we, we, we got a call uh, the day before saying that there was a seat. So th- take a step back. Um, John Paul II would have a mass every morning in his private chapel, whether it was at the Vatican or at Castel Gandolfo, the summer residence for the popes. And, if, if you were a bishop in Rome or a priest and you, you wanted to celebrate that morning mass, you could call ahead and, and, and take one of those 30, 35 seats in his little chapel. Now, you know, if you were a lay person and there was a seat and you're on the list, and thanks to the Marians, I was able to get on the list, um, and there's a seat open, they'll call you the night before. So we got a call on uh, September 30th, 1997, and and I'd been praying to Saint Therese to to intercede for me because she went to Rome, she met the Pope. So I I, I was pouring out my heart in prayer, and uh, just happened to meet John Paul II for the first time on her feast day, and it didn't occur to me about till about a month later that the last day of September 1997 was 100 years to the day that she died. So she answered oh, the prayer on the centenary of her entry into heaven. And, and I met him on her feast day. So she's always been very close to my heart before that. But, but the, you know, so it always made me think this opportunity to meet this, this great saint, and I knew he was a saint before I met him, uh, was not just for me, but it, but it was for, for my, my ministry, for my, my family, for my children, for, for everyone that I can tell the story. Um, not, not something I want to keep under a bushel basket. So, and again, that was part of the imp- impetus to write the book. Hmm. Um, That's a gift so, to all of us. That's a gift. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You. So meeting him. So, so um, we, we came in, we were greeted by Bishop Jeevish, who's now Cardinal Jeevish, uh, Cardinal of Krakow. Um, and, and he, he led us into the Pope's chapel and John Paul II was kneeling in prayer in front of the tabernacle. So I came around the corner and saw him with my own eyes and my heart literally leapt in my chest. It was, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I'm, I'm not a mystic, but if there's anything like ecstasy, uh, the, not the drug, but the, the be, <laughs> being, you know, having the spiritual experience, that yeah. was it for me. I mean, I, and, and the entire mass, I stared at him. I hope he didn't, <laughs> didn't think that was kind of weird, <laughs> but uh-huh. I wanted to memorize every single second. Um, you know, he, um, he didn't read the gospel. He didn't give us a homily. Um, he, he didn't distribute communion, but, but he was there and I received Holy communion that was, was consecrated by the Holy father. And, um, and the mass was only maybe 20 minutes. And then they let us out, out into an adjoining room. Now there were about 25, 30 people that were there. They, we kind of formed a horseshoe pattern and he came to each one of us. I was the only one of those 30 people that actually had a gift for him. So, I'm standing there waiting for him because they had to disrobe and, and get him you know, over to, to meet us. Um, and I was a little nervous because I had this, this whole little speech planned out and to tell him what, who I am and what I'm, what I'm showing him. And, uh, and as soon as he entered the room, all that anxiety was just gone. It was, it, it was like, it was like a standing next to my dad saying, Hey dad, this is what I did. This is my work. What do you think? And, you know, um, it, it was, it was so easy, you know, it was like, you know, I had this euphoric moment and, and mass with the Holy father. And then, and then this, you know, just standing next to him for 60 seconds telling him my work. And it's like, uh, you know, it was very easy. 
And, and then he said, thank you. He pressed a rosary into my hand, went to the next person. And uh, a year later, I, I, w- I was back and, and doing the same thing. And, uh, and it was just very, very comfortable. But uh, there, there certainly is a, a presence uh, around the Holy Father. I also met Pope Benedict. Um, and, and that was a different type of, of atmosphere, different type of feeling. Um, but I was also in Rome uh, and, and when Pope, Be- Pope Francis stepped out onto the loggia for the very first time, I was, uh, me and, and a couple other reporters, we were the closest lay people to the Pope when he stepped out. They had the first um, half of the square underneath the, the facade was, was blocked off. Um, and so the crowd was all in the back half of, of the square. I was up on top of the colonnade, about eye level with the Pope. And I was about maybe 25, 30 yards away. Wow. So everybody else on the floor, on the ground, was probably 50, 60 yards away. And uh, it, that was an experience. It was, it was very different than, than John Paul II. But at the same time, uh, it was very clear that th- this was a different type of Pope than we had with Benedict and, and Pope Francis. And, you know, I, I'm not going to be a detractor of Pope Francis. He has enough critics. I don't need to jump into the fray. But I have to say that the last 100 years, we've been very spoiled. We've had uh, incredibly brilliant men as Pope. We've had um, very holy men as Pope. Um, and, and prior to that, it's kind of been hit and miss. We've had great Popes. We've had not so great Popes. And, you know, um, Francis is just a different type of Pope than what we're used to. So, um, so that, that's, it, but meeting him was, was, was truly a blessing. Um, I was in Rome, uh, part of a, a delegation that was there to meet him. And, uh, I was also in Rome to run the marathon. I'm, I'm a marathon runner. So this was my second running of the Rome marathon. And uh, so I, I could see people in front of me and they're, they're kissing his hand and they're praising him. And I know Francis doesn't really get off on that. So uh, I wanted to say something different. So well, I got up to him. I held his hand. I said, Holy Father, on Sunday, I'm running the Rome Marathon. And then I waited a second because his English isn't so good. But I, I, what I could tell by looking into his eyes that he understood what I meant. I said, please pray for me. and and and, uh cardinal cardinal world of of washington dc had introduced us and and he burst out laughing and then the pope laughed out loud and then the pope (laughs) says the pope says i do i do i do so the pope said he would pray for me i can see that i do and uh and and i ended up running my fastest marathon of my life so so yeah, the, the Pope's prayers kind of spurred me on, I guess. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, praise God. Yeah. yeah that, that's a great story. I know you wrote that in your little biography that you made him laugh out loud. So yeah. that's a good one. And you know, yeah, I love to hear all list. these bucket list, stories. right? Yeah, bucket <laughs> list for sure. You know, that's on my yeah. one of my bucket list. I do want to meet Pope Francis. I have to and say ma- that and make him laugh. Yeah. And make him laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Pray pray for me. I have another friend who's been on the podcast. In fact, she was with us last week, Jacqueline. In case sure. Jacqueline's listening, uh, Jacqueline and I, and I have talked about that idea of uh, praying that we can meet the Holy Father. So yeah. who knows, right? You, you lift up that prayer. You just don't know what will happen. Yeah, there are many graces attached to to That's meeting right. the Pope. And, and, I, and I feel that in my life. And just be, ha- having the honor to tell the story and, and share that with people is, is a great joy for me. For, for really certain. Is. Yeah, you know, um, one of the things you mentioned in there in your in your talking just in the last few minutes was that you know we had a lot of different styles of, of popes previously, and then we had you know two two you know powerhouse popes if you want to put it that way with John Paul II, Pope Benedict the uh, Sixteenth, and and the contrast to Francis, which uh, is is so interesting, and, and and you know a pope for 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 these times, but um, I wonder if you had any comments on you know just how long because you know like. Growing up until I hit college, like, like Pope Pope John Paul II was the Pope from when I was born until my so, until my sophomore year of college, and so right. you know that he he had his pontificate for such a long time that that you know we we grew accustomed to his leadership and and then 
of course, he, he passes away. We have uh, a historic uh, resignation of a pope that hasn't happened in church history in, what, over 600 years? 600 and, years. Yeah, and then and now we have, um, you know, so are you want to have any comments on, on just on, on that, on, you know, just the, the historic times we're living in? Yeah, absolutely. And and let me let me also back up. I mean, John the Twenty Third, extraordinary Pope, really extraordinary now a canonized saint. Paul the Sixth is is um is he he's blessed or is he already canonized? I'm not sure. I, I know think he's well he's canonized. He's yeah, well yeah. Oh that's even, right. Yeah. He yeah, he is. Yeah, so we've we've got all these very saintly popes and brilliant popes. I mean, John the twenty seconds, twenty thirds, courage to call the Second Vatican Council and recognize uh, the prompting of the Holy Spirit to to call the council and all of the changes that that resulted from that. Um, you know, we we've really lived in in remarkable times, and um, so getting t- tell me your question again about. Um, Oh yeah, just, just uh, you have any comments on just how that you know the recent pa- history of the papacy within within our lifetimes really has just evolved. Yeah, it really has, you know. And and John the twenty third, Paul the sixth, they they put into it, it really started changing the papacy to less of a of a of a, a monarch, you could say, to to more of a a, a global universal pastor. And uh, so John, the, uh, John Paul I was actually the one to do away with the, the chair where they carry the Pope through the square. Mm. Uh, he did away with that. Um, he also did away with a tiara. Uh, the Pope used to wear a tiara. Uh, Paul VI wore it. I don't think John Paul, John Paul I ever wore it. John Paul II never wore it. Uh, a lot of that stuff kind of has been stripped away and i think what we see in francis is a little more stripping away and and i I know that makes a lot of people uncomfortable because there's tradition attached to those things and you know whether it's right or not history will be the judge of of that um but yeah the papacy continues to evolve it continues to change uh there are certain things that that you know, certainly are staying the same. It's not like it's being changed from something that that's unrecognizable. But I think Francis is trying to introduce a lot more simplicity into the church and the papacy, and and um, um, and and so so yeah, it continues to change. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate all this discussion. All uh, not that we need to get into my master's thesis, but it covers <laughs> the different popes and comparisons and also the whole notion of the spiritual accompaniment that Pope Francis has made such a um, pronounced thing within his pontificate, uh, the, the spiritual accompaniment and mercy. And I know that John Paul and Benedict both had such, um, you, such an outreach to marginalized people. And yeah. so that's really what my focus is. And so it's great to talk about these topics that uh, it's all coming together, even though they're different. They 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 all had somewhat of a uh, a focus on it, even though they might yeah. they might not have called it spiritual accompaniment, but it it's certainly is the mercy of Jesus Christ that they're displaying. Yeah, and and one thing we need to remember too is that both John Paul and Pope Benedict were formed in an era, uh, the Second World War, in in that era, um, and and then they came together in such a beautiful way, um, Pope. Benedict, as Cardinal Ratzinger was um, was created a cardinal in 1977, just a year prior to to uh, Carol Wojtyla becoming John Paul II, uh, they actually met for the first time at the conclave that elected John Paul I, and and they 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 really hit it off they, because John Paul II at heart is a philosopher, and Benedict at heart is a theologian, and it's like. You know, if, if you put these two great brains together, what could you accomplish, right? And, and I say this very clearly in my book, that John Paul II's papacy would not have been what it was, not even close, had it not been for Ratzinger walking beside him. So uh, when John Paul was elected, he asked Ratzinger, who is Cardinal Archbishop of Munich, to, to come and work for him at the Vatican. But he had only been Archbishop for, for a year, and he was like, I can't leave my people. I mean, I just, this is a brand new assignment for me. But John Paul kept asking, 
kept asking. And then in 1982, I guess that would be five years into his tenure as, as Archbishop of Munich, he finally acceded to the request and, uh, and became prefect for the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith and, and walked with John Paul II from 1982 all the way through to his death in 2005. And then, lo and behold, the cardinals of the church said, we want you to lead the universal church. And, and he accepted. He had asked John Paul II several times, twice at least publicly, uh, that were made public, if, if he could resign and go back to teaching, could go back to just um, study in, instead of, um, of, of working at the Vatican. And John Paul would say, just a little longer, just a little longer. <laughs> and then lo and behold, he becomes Benedict XVI. And, and in a sense, kind of completed that era of, of what John Paul had begun in unpacking the Second Vatican Council and giving us beautiful teachings like theology of the body, a better understanding of the human person, uh, which, like I said, is really key to understanding John Paul II's entire pontificate is the, the uniqueness of each individual human person. Mm, thank you so much. And on that topic, I, I appreciate the knowledge. And you really have, um, I think, whet all of our appetite to learn more. So I just invite people to buy 100 Ways John Paul II Changed the World from Amazon, Kindle, or as you said, I think it's on your website too. Our Sunday Visitor. Our it's Sunday on my Visitor. website. If you want an autographed copy, go to my website, booksbypatrick.com. Click on the book and you'll see a link there to, to purchase it. And I'll send you an autograph copy. Oh, that's awesome. Now, here we are just weeks away from our upcoming election. We never talk about candidates or, or promote any parties, but uh, we're talking so much about pro-life. And I know that John Paul II, that was at really the heart of who he was. And as Bill said, with the human person and uh, acknowledgement of that each life has value, no matter how young or old. Uh, wondered if you could speak about that, because uh, we've been hearing a lot in the news about, uh, you know, sometimes within our church, there's some confusion about that. Wondered yeah. if you could share. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, first thing that came to mind is that uh, it's very clear in the teaching of the church, teaching of John Paul II, that human beings are the only creatures God made for himself. All the other creatures were made for man. And, and we have a, a, a unique uh, soul that is, is destined for eternal life, whether in heaven or in hell. Ultimate destination is up to you. Um, and whether that life is snuffed out before it has a chance to be born or lives to be 110 years old, that soul exists and, and will have an eternal destiny. Um, so that needs to be, be kept in mind. John Paul said this. I'll, I'll just give you a quote. It's from a letter he sent to the Secretary General of the United Nations uh, Conference on Population and Development in 1994. He said, abortion, which destroys existing human life, is a heinous evil, and it is never an acceptable method of family planning. Um, he also said, uh, that, uh, and let me just jump ahead to our day, the U.S. bishops wrote this in their faithful citizenship document. They said the threat of abortion remains our preeminent priority. And that's very important to remember that um, th there's sometimes this argument that, uh, uh, you know, abortion is one issue of many. We have the poor, we have, we have uh, the economy, we have uh, unemployment, we have immigration. Those are all very important issues. Make no mistake about it. But the bishops teach this. Uh, the threat of abortion remains our preeminent, pre, preeminent priority because it directly attacks life itself, because it takes place within the sanctuary of the family, and because of the number of lives destroyed. So, you know, there is a hierarchy of, of, of issues when it comes to people of faith. Um, and, and, and I think the founders of our country also understood that because they said that we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And they put them in that order for a reason because without the, the, the right to life, 
then what good is 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 what what right are what good are the other two? Right. What good is liberty or the pursuit of happiness or property rights if your right to life is is not guaranteed? So and that's why slavery was such. Uh, most of the founders found it abhorrent, even though some of them owned slaves, but most of them were were very anti-slavery. And and I think they wrote the Constitution um, and, and the Bill of Rights because they wanted to influence the culture to to get rid of slavery. So, and, and in a sense, abortion is kind of that issue of our day that we need to look back to our founding. We need to look to our faith to understand that life is the preeminent issue. And we're not single issue voters, but we are primary issue voters, right? Because uh, if a child doesn't have a right to life, then, 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 then what we're saying is that some life is worth protecting and some life isn't. It's very subjective. So maybe one day they will the government, the laws will say that your life isn't worth protecting just the way the unborn's life isn't protecting. Senior citizens are costing way too much money to protect their lives and to, and, and to give them health care. So their lives are no longer protected. You know, it's either all life is valuable and pr- worth protecting under law or none of it is. It's so true. It's so true. And uh, it's, it really is a staple of our faith. It is. This is. This is a staple of our faith, and if we, if we, can remember, too, that that the the gospel of life uh, was was told to us, and and given to us by Christ Himself, too. You know, like like, like this is not something that we just dream up. That Christians dream up, or the Catholics have have you know said, oh. We're going to, you know, oppose abortion because, you know, it's good for our, our politics. It's good for uh, our, our. That's not what we're doing, you know. Like, like yeah, I think no, no question. And and this shouldn't be a political issue. It, it should be. Uh, it's a human rights issue. Ultimately, it is the human rights issue of our day. When a thousand children a day are being slaughtered in our country, our country alone. Um, and, and we're silent about it. We can't be silent about it because our silence means that, that uh, you know, we, we accept it and, and we can't accept it. It's unacceptable. Thank you so much for uh, you know, sharing all this with us, because there could be some people who are listening who are literally on the fence. And as I said at the beginning uh, of this little conversation here, that you know, we don't promote the political parties or the candidates, but we can talk about what the church teachings are. Um, so if somebody's on the fence and they're listening right now, would you have any uh, words to say to them? Yeah, it's really incumbent upon each voter to, to analyze the issues and uh, and to look at where the candidates stand on protecting innocent human life. Um, let me give you another quote from John Paul II. He said, laws which legitimize the killing of innocent human beings through abortion or euthanasia, are in complete opposition to the inviolable right to life proper to each individual. They thus deny the equality of everyone before the law. So John Paul is saying there is that uh, if there are laws that are uh, authorizing euthanasia or, 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 or abortion, that none of us are equal under the law because the science is very clear. Human life begins a conception. That that chapter is closed. Uh, now the the chapter that's open is whether that life is is worth protecting or not, and and we have to decide whether or not it is. But if we are saying that life is not worth protecting up until the moment of birth, then we are saying in in a sense that some life is worth protecting, some human life is not worth protecting, and we get to be the judge of who lives and who dies. And, you know, you extrapolate it to that, then, you know, who is that judge of who lives and who dies? Is it the government? Is it the voters? Um, But we as Christians need to be very clear that every human life from its very beginning conception to natural death is worth protecting. And my father passed away a couple of three years ago. And one of the things that I learned too, is that, you know, it's not just 
protecting life up until the moment of death. I mean, the the human human life uh, and and the human body is, is valuable, and and it's protected and it's guarded even under law. After a person dies, you can't just go dig up a corpse in, in a graveyard. That's a human body, and, and it's it's protected under law. So um, human life is valuable, and we know it. It's in our founding documents. It's in our laws. But when some life is not protected, we need to examine that and think about that and, and ask ourselves whether we find that problematic. Uh, I, for one, do. I find it highly problematic. And that's the reason that, that I'm in the work that I'm doing here at the Warrington Pregnancy Center, that all human life is worth protecting. The mother's life is worth protecting. Her, her, her soul is worth protecting. And, and so we walk with these mothers and we help them make good choices. And even if we don't, we're there for them because they're valuable. They're valuable because they are, they are created in the image and likeness of God, same, same as their children born and unborn. Yeah, and you know, I, I think one of the big things to the, that you highlighted in there too is that, um, you know, th- this their your your dignity is not dependent upon um, your your actions in life. Right. You know, I mean that's right. that's one of the one of the biggest things that I think we we all struggle with, in, especially in our culture today, uh, as we try and educate our children and we uh, you know we talk about things, you know. We, we have this we have this um, mentality of well once you've messed up it's you've messed up no 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 mm-hmm, God's mm-hmm. mercy is there at at every turn God's mercy is there at every turn and that enables us to say that no matter what you've done no matter you know whether you've whether you've had an abortion or you haven't had an abortion uh, you know you you have a fundamental dignity. Uh, regardless of of your actions, now of course your actions can determine your eternal destination, but you still have a dignity and worth. And up until your last breath, you get to decide where you will spend eternity. Absolutely, and and I would encourage people to to watch two movies. One is called Unplanned. It's the true story of my friend Abby Johnson and her uh, journey from managing a Planned Parenthood center to becoming one of the most powerful pro-life activists in in the country, in the world. Um, She had two abortions, one chemical abortion and one surgical abortion uh, prior to her conversion. And um, I, I always find that people who have committed great sin and been forgiven are the the best spokespeople for the movement because they've been there. They've been on that side and they know how dark and evil it is. Also encourage people to watch the movie Bella. Uh, It's it's a a fictional story, but it's really a compilation story of so many women who have contemplated abortion and either chosen or not chosen, but the the implications of that choice and and what that does to to families and to children is is really remarkable. There's also a, pardon me a short film called Crescendo made by my friend Jason Jones. You can watch it on YouTube. Uh, just put in Crescendo movie. It's about 15, 10, 12, 15 minutes. It's the story of. Now correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, is it? It's Ludwig van Beethoven. Mm-hmm. His mother almost aborted him. Uh, so it, it tells her story of, of why she was contemplating abortion and how she came to choose life. And the result of that is remarkable. Uh, um, again, a, a life-changing experience, uh, allowing this child to live and giving us such beautiful music that um, it will live forever in, 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 uh, in our culture. So encourage people to watch those films because they're powerful. They, they, they really speak to the truth of, of abortion and what it is and, and the power of choosing life. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, this is a great podcast and I would encourage people to listen to it again because it's uh, really packed full with a lot of great information about you, about the popes, about your writing, about the Warrington Pregnancy Center. Um, so again, they can go to booksbypatrick.com. And then the other website is catholicpublicist.com. 
Yeah, and, and even more important uh, about the center, wpcpartners.org. Yes. Yes. Amen. And folks, we'll stick them down in the show notes of the of the uh, podcast. So if you're looking for uh, that, just uh, head right down to the description on the podcast, and you'll be able to click on those links uh, and and be able to you know uh, get to all Patrick's different websites. Uh, so Patrick, thank can't thank you enough uh, for for coming on again and being with us and, and just sharing uh, uh, time and, and so many great stories, so much great wisdom. Uh, and we certainly wish you the best in all your uh, in all your efforts, and we'll certainly have you back on again uh, when <laughs> as you write the next book. So it's great. I'd I'd enjoy that. It's been fun, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Patrick. Yes, folks. Uh, I want to remind you um, real quick as we are wrapping up uh, today's program uh, to head over to our website, patchworkheart.org, and uh, we have a fearless scriptural rosary. You know, as we're encountering all of these different times. Uh, that we are encountering uh, with, with the unrest in our society, with uh, the upcoming election, with all of the different uh, things that are happening in our world. Sometimes we encounter fear. And so uh, what we've done is uh, paired the different scripture passages that say, be not afraid, fear not, uh, with the rosary. And it's available on our website for free. All you got to do is head over to patchworkheart.org, pop a splash screen, put your email in, and you'll be able to uh, get a return email from us that enables you to download a free PDF. Uh, so, so please check that out, and uh, and we and we hope that you will reach out to us in the many different ways that we uh, also uh, minister. So again, it's patchworkheart.org and andysantis.com as well uh, for all of Anne's great work that she's doing. Uh, and you want to mention uh, who's coming up this week on uh, Journeys in Faith for People? Yes, for Journeys in Faith, I'm very excited. This Friday night, we have Emily K. Whiting. She is a Catholic author and speaker. So that'll be 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time this Friday night on Fiat Ministry Network and also on the podcast at Patchwork Heart Ministry on YouTube. Please do subscribe. Awesome. Well, folks, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, until next time, from all of us here at Patchwork Heart Ministry, the St. Raymond Nonatus Foundation, and Fiat Ministry Network, keep beating to your Catholic hearts and sowing hope into broken hearts. I'm Bill Snyder. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sewing Hope on Patchwork Heart Radio. For more information about this podcast and our ministries, visit our websites, patchworkheart.org and andesantis.com. You can also follow and interact with us on Twitter at PWH Ministry or andesantis2.